I also think that we probably shouldn't discount the younger generation's ability to kind of see through that and communicate effectively with the right tone, because that is how they communicate. So they're a lot more, I think, fluent and adept at having those types of conversations. But I think it's much more important to listen than it is to speak and to really cultivate a message in a way that I think gets your point across, but at the same time has a little bit of room for differences of opinions. I mean, I think if anyone had any questions, especially female role models, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did that all the time. And I think has some just phenomenal examples of ways to be the loudest voice in the room that's still the most respectful, has a little bit of sway in it. Welcome back to another episode of This Green Planet. I'm your host, Penny Bowder, the founder of the award-winning Green Kid Craft subscription box. Here, I'm sharing ideas about leading with social impact, women in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, and kids making green changes in their communities. This podcast is bound to inspire you to have a personal impact on this green planet. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Mikkel Huffaker, and we're going to be talking a little bit about her experience working as a director of threat intelligence. Mikkel began her career as a Chinese cryptologic language analyst in the U.S. Air Force before moving on to become an intelligent analyst for the U.S. Departments of Defense and State. She has worked on many sides of the cybersecurity industry, from government to end user to vendor. She previously worked with iSight Partners, FireEye, then MGM Resorts International before joining Threat Quotient as Director of Threat Intelligence. So excited to talk to Mikkel today and hear all about threat intelligence. Sounds like such an exciting career. Hi, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? Good. The first question I had, I'd, I'd love to just maybe talk a little bit about background stuff. I'd particularly like when did you know that you wanted to be in this field that you're in? It's a really unique field and I I love it. So I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of what brought you to where you are. Sure. Yeah. I think the field in general, so I never really had an aim other than linguistics. So learning Chinese in the military sort of lended itself to landing in the cyber world, because obviously that's a a pretty big issue Mm -hmm. for the U.S. government. But I think it was more what was attractive about it and staying in it is just how dynamic it is in the sense that the cyber problems themselves are kind of static. It's, you know, identity theft, it's financial theft, but the methods and the, and the tactics that people use to achieve those outcomes are always changing. And so I know it's probably not fun for other people to hear, but it is fun from the analysis side to actually get to get into some of that mm-hmm. stuff. Being able to marry kind of the linguistic side, I'm very much a structured person. And I think uh, intelligence analysis in and of itself is structured, but then you have to apply all these kind of structured perspectives to something that's a very dynamic field. So it lends itself to a lot of creativity and Hmm. just, it stays interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can see, I mean, you know, we all know that the the more interesting and creative, I think our jobs are the, the greater sort of job satisfaction. So if you can stay engaged, which you have been, then that is just going to lead to that much happier of a life for you. Yeah, definitely. What kind of support did you get along the way, you know, as a sort of a woman in the military and then a woman sort of in what I'm assuming is a traditionally male dominated field, right? Very much so. Yeah. 
mixed, mixed support. So obviously with my name being Michael, which was always a really interesting thing growing up because it it has a, you know, a, a somewhat unorthodox spelling. And then obviously being a female with the name Michael, I, I was kind of always walking into situations where people were surprised by what would come through the door. Right. And um, <laughs> that was true in the military as well. Actually, when I got to boot camp, they had assigned me to the male dorm, which did not go over well. <laughs> so as those things sort of got fixed, I think through some of that stuff as a kid, mm-hmm. I was a little bit used to walking in on sort of unsure footing. Sure. So the military, you know, they try, they try really hard to not be a boys club. Mm-hmm. The statistics simply make it that way. There are more men in the military than there are women. And certainly whenever you get into certain fields, that is more true. You know, I was in intelligence, so there were more women in, in my career field than there would have been in, say, infantry, uh, in the army or something like that. But mm. they try to be supportive. But typically, you're working with male mentors. Yeah. And they just don't have the empathy because they can't, right? They just they don't understand the situation. So there was some of that. There would be, you know, some active attempts to dissuade progress, I think, mm-hmm. along the way. But startups are, are similar in that that aspect where you always have a couple of people typically men who are really trying very hard to be inclusive and appreciate diversity. And then you have just kind of the status quo that you're constantly fighting against. But I don't know that that's different than anybody else's real experience. You know, you're going to either have good mentors or bad mentors. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a mixed bag, but Mm -hmm. it was definitely a, um, a challenge at times for sure. I appreciated in the, the written interview that we did together, how you mentioned this idea that your mentor does not always have to be a woman, you know, as a woman, like, and I feel like that was a sort of aha moment for me, because I think as women, yeah, we kind of think like, oh, we need these women role models. I appreciated that you you put that out there. And I hadn't actually seen that thought before, like, it shouldn't be revolutionary, right? But so you've had a lot of male mentors. And I like that you said, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's not, right? Yeah, definitely not. I think, you know, whenever you're looking for a mentor, absolutely. I think if you have a good female role model that can be your mentor, that's an awesome way to go because there's just more perspective and more nuance to the way that you can learn from those folks. But with men, it's interesting too, because I like sometimes to be checked a little bit Mm -hmm. for a bias. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, especially in in the Intel world, that's what we do. So (laughs) it's good to have that kind of constructive criticism, but friendly disagreement sometimes Mm -hmm. about whether or not it's truly a professional shortcoming or if if there really are forces working against you. Mm-hmm. So you're the director of threat intelligence at Threat Quotient. Can you talk a little bit about Threat Quotient and what it is you do specifically there? Sure. So Threat Quotient in, you know, in a nutshell is a threat intelligence platform, so software company. I was really attracted to to we call it ThreatQ or TQ. So I'm sure I'll, no, that's I'll interchange it. <laughs> I was really attracted to Threat Quotient because my experience before that at a startup actually producing intelligence that was kind of uh, revolutionary for the commercial sector at that time. We produced a lot of things that were really difficult to use okay. just by their nature. Using Intel is hard. The tip market, the threat intelligence platform market was attractive to me because they're basically building the conduit between good information and good security teams and, and making it work. So I have a couple of, of coworkers over there that I worked with previously that you know we kept in touch. And so when I joined the team, they didn't really, I think, have a, a specific fit for me mm-hmm. other than they needed someone that had into intelligence experience and then a little bit of sales experience and then some 
yeah, I was just kind of a, a jack of all trades at Bidding. Yeah. So now I'm a, I'm am launching with a previous coworker of mine some services offerings, mm-hmm. which is a, an interesting prospect in the COVID era. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously better to be on site for that. But um, yeah, so we're we're just always looking at ways to I guess optimize you know people's workflows in in that particular space. Okay. But so I just kind of I'm sort of an internal and external consultant right uh-huh. now. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all kind of doing that in the COVID era. Like, how do we, yeah, how (laughs) it's like we have, we all have brand new jobs, right? Figuring out how to do what we usually do in a totally different way. So yeah, it's very weird. (laughs) So switching gears, I had a few questions for you just about, uh, so a lot of our, not a lot, but I would say one audience that we speak to are child activists. And I think that a lot of what people and startups do and a lot of kind of what you've done have to do with this idea of like interacting with people that don't necessarily agree with you. I wonder how, how you take that kind of idea of like, okay, so we have this group of people or I have these coworkers or people that don't necessarily agree with me. How do you tend to interact with them or approach them, work with them? It's a little bit ironic to work at a tech company in a tech field in this era and have a question like that, because I I would say that the most important thing to do is to step away from the screen. (laughs) There's so much, (laughs) you know, uh, facial expressions and body language. I mean, it's all the stuff that we all all know, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think emojis don't really cut it in terms of trying to convey some sort of sarcasm or something like that. But I also think that we probably shouldn't discount the younger generation's ability to kind of see through that and communicate effectively mm-hmm. with the right tone, because that, that is how they communicate. Mm-hmm. So they're a lot more, I think, fluent and adept at having those types of conversations. But all in all, I think it's, I mean, and, and what a what a perfect time on the heels of this election to have a question like that is, yeah. I think it's much more important to listen, or in this case, read, than it is to speak, and to really cultivate a message in a way that I think it's your point across, but at the same time is, has a little bit of room for differences of opinions. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if, if anyone had any questions, especially female role models, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did that all the time. And I think has some just phenomenal examples of ways to be the loudest voice in the room. That's still the most respectful, you know, I think has a little bit of sway in it. Mm-hmm. In it. So that would be my, I mean, mm-hmm. if you can't get face to face, at least you know, read a few times before you hit send, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also study, study those types of people who have, who have made history doing that very thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great that you're right, because there's so many people that have come before us that, well, in case in point, Ginsburg, you know, that have just done an astounding job. Like you said, being the loudest voice in the room in a respectful way. And um, I love that you, you bring that up. So thank you. I appreciated how you said that you sort of based on kind of like, you know, your name, you, you were accustomed to walking into situations, maybe not on solid footing. And I, I really feel like in general, we all do that, but maybe we have this false confidence that, that we're on solid footing when we're not, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so this idea of like kid activists, like I think kids that in general just want to do something big and have these aspirations to do something big they're going to be faced with, with those sorts of things. Like, do you have specific advice that you might give youth that want to make a difference in the world? And, you know, or how, what have you, you know, how do you talk about these sorts of things with your kids? You know? Yeah. I mean, 
I think the most important thing for them to know for, for a lot of different reasons, but is that their voices truly matter and carry a lot of weight. And, you know, some of, some of the um, Nordic countries do a much better job than this than, than we do for sure. But I think it's Sweden where kids actually truly do get a voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that technology has sort of democratized that access to where we may not legally recognize kids and their activism, but the internet does, mm-hmm. our culture does. True. So I, I think, you know, believing in, in your cause, if, if you're young and passionate, that's such a cool combination. Right. Because I've, I've learned rapidly that you're often in a situation where you're only one of those two things. <laughs> and um, that's, it's a little bit disappointing because I, you never want to be in that position where you look back and think, man, I wish I really would have done this when I had the energy to do it. Or when I thought people would listen to me. And, or I can't wait till I'm this old to make a difference. And I think that that's, it's just not, I mean, the kids after the, you know, that, the horrible shooting at Sandy Hook really, truly took a huge stand and, and gathered a whole group of, of people together and made a change, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not the change they wanted. And I, so I, I think, you know, one side is keep going. Remember that the things that you stand up for and anything you put on the internet will follow you. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, but then also to to be patient because mm-hmm. systems and bureaucracies and old people are slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kids are used to turning on the computer and being on the internet. Mm-hmm. And they're talking to people that turn on computers and dialed in mm-hmm. or to people that didn't have internet at all. And so our time scales are are different. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, you know, you have to continuously chip away and it's not like being a YouTube star overnight. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a process, but to hang in there. Cause I think it's, I think it's absolutely critical that kids continue to do that. Excellent. Thank you. You know, you talked about uh, your five leadership lessons, you know, as your that you learned from your experience as a woman in STEM and tech. One of the ones we already talked about, you know, this idea that your mentor doesn't have to be a woman. Um, you also wrote a little bit about not being afraid to be a woman at work. And specifically, like, because of the nature of, you know, your job and your history in the military, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think there's an urge sometimes because we've read so many books by successful women that talk about sort of emulating male characteristics to be -hmm. successful. Yeah. That, you know, in meetings, people tend to lower their voices or speak more loudly or, or stand or take up physically take up more space. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with those things, but I don't think you have to change your presentation or even your words yeah. to get the the consideration that you should have. And that's not always true, unfortunately. But I also meant like we have unique problems. But like I remember in high school or even at work, like hiding a tampon down your sleeve to go to the bathroom because it was like an embarrassing thing mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that shame came from, but it's Mm -hmm. stuff like that. When you work in an office of 75 men and you're one of four women, Mm -hmm. you tend to readopt those behaviors Mm -hmm. that you were taught were shameful younger. Right. And there was a, I don't know what it, what point it was when I was like, I'm not doing this. Good. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Cause it's natural. Right. It's just like a natural part of who you are. and, mm -hmm. And that was one of them or just, and it doesn't even have to be like going super female. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to throw it in the face. I just mean, you know, talking about being up all night because the baby was crying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's okay. 
And I think people are afraid to talk about that because it's either too personal or it sounds like it's complaining or Mm -hmm. you have to choose work or family. And I just, I don't think that's true. Yeah. One of the things that sets women apart as leaders, I think that's been proven time and time again, is our ability to lead with empathy. Yeah. And if you don't display any human characteristics in your leadership role, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a hard time getting a a following that believes Mm -hmm. you're empathetic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's almost like a superpower and you should use it. To that point, I feel like, you know, if you're a woman that leads with empathy, I think that you're not just going to be a model for the other women around you, but for men as well, you know, and I think men as well will take that cue maybe. And so I'm sure that, you know, by you introducing this, like, sort of raw humanity into your office and and not making, you know, excuses to who you are. I I feel like that can only benefit everybody, you know, of all, you know, both genders. And so, yeah, I think it's amazing and inspiring that you've gotten to that point at a relatively young age. I don't know how young you are, but you know, it's, I think it's a gift to like get these realizations before, before you have grandkids, for example, you know, so, um, (laughs) Well, I wish I could say that it was something that, you know, one morning I woke up and was like, I'm going to take a stand. I think it's, it's really just, you get tired, <laughs> right. you get tired of yeah. cultivating a persona a that point. takes so much energy on top of having to work oftentimes, not always, mm-hmm. but significantly harder mm-hmm. than your counterparts to be noticed. And at some point you run out of energy. And if I'm going to pick one of those two things to get rid of, it's going to be being some sort of, yeah else something else mm-hmm. it's just not fun because that takes, it didn't you know it takes a lot of energy to be somebody that you're it does. i think that yeah i think that's a great point we're all tired <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. yes you also said advocate for yourself you know this is a leadership lesson and that nobody cares more about your career than you I appreciate that as well and can you expand on that a tiny bit more pretty self-explanatory but You know, I think that especially for younger members of our audience, you know, it never hurts to hear this again and again. Yeah, for sure. It's a lesson I'm still learning. I'm I'm still not Mm -hmm. very good at it because I think it's it's just as much my own personality as it is a female characteristic. But it's hard to tout your own accomplishments because I don't think there are very few things I think that anybody truly does on their own. Most people's tendency, I think, is to say, "Oh yeah, I did this great thing," but I had this team of people behind me, and I think that that's the right thing to do in most cases. I think when it's important to advocate for yourself or at those pivotal moments, like salary negotiations, like applying for a new job or a promotion where, especially if it's within your own company and your accomplishments are are sort of well-known or you think they are, but your tendency is to talk about the teams that provided that outcome, then that's really the time that you have to stand up and say, yes, the team did it, but I led this effort or I, you know, I did these Mm -hmm. things. But I, I still think that it's more important to be inclusive and complimentary of the, of your team on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've missed some pretty cool career opportunities huh. when I got feedback later that was because, oh, well, we didn't really understand that you had done that. We thought uh, that you were part of a company that had achieved that. So hmm. I was like, oh yeah, I did. Well, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do better next time. Yes. And that, hence, that's one of the lessons, right? And you probably, mm-hmm. I would think that I think you will do better next time, right? I mean, if it's if it's that much of a lesson that that it becomes, I think, part of this interview, then I think that this is something that you're not alone in thinking either. And I think that this might, this is probably more of like a, a something that happens to women. You know, we don't tend to take credit for ourselves 
we do tend to focus on the team and that's part of this idea. You know, that's what we do. We network, we gather people around us and (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that you said, stop admiring the problem. Cause I had to stop and read that. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) What is, what do you, what does that mean to you? This idea of stop admiring the problem and this piece of advice being a really crucial piece of advice for you. So I, I certainly didn't come up with that. I don't know who did. It was framed on the wall behind the most difficult boss that I've ever worked for, who was female. Mm. The fact that she was female is just a side Mm -hmm. note. Mm -hmm. And I used to sit across from her desk and it was always a contentious conversation. And she would just sort of point over her shoulder at that sign. And I, much like you, I was like, I don't, I really don't get it. And then I was in a meeting a couple of days later and we had been called together to talk about a thing that was happening. And I realized we were 30 something minutes into an hour long meeting and nobody had yet mentioned a solution. And it was just a room full Mm. of people sitting around admiring the problem and sort of, you know, putting it on a pedestal and just kind of staring at it and talking about all of its features and all of these. And you can almost imagine people sitting around a statue of a problem and talking about all the different ways that it's imposing. And I was like, I get it now. Yes. And ever since that moment of, clarity, I am not great at necessarily, you know, moving to the next step, which is offering solutions every time. But I have an acute awareness of when I'm either part of a group or observing a group who is doing that very thing. Yes. And it happens all the time. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I feel like, yeah, and it does happen all the time. And I think we do need to talk about the problem a tiny bit in order to understand it. But you're right, we usually you know, talk and talk and talk and not sure what, if there's like an evolutionary sort of, (laughs) is there some biology behind why we do that? I don't know. Yeah. I like that. I might need a plaque on my wall next to my kids (laughs) next to the dinner table. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have some fun questions that, that I'd like to ask. I wonder if there's something else that, you know, sort of like a a next step in your life. Like, and so I wanted to ask you if you could inspire a movement that would bring the most amount of good to the most amount of people. Is there something that comes to mind when you hear that question? I think there's, I'll give a politician's answer. (laughs) I I think it's two pronged in the sense that I think I I kind of, it maybe seemed a bit like a cop out, but in in their written interview did the uh, kindness thing because it's free and you can just be nice to people Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not hard. Like, it's just not a hard thing to do. And I always keep in mind, I think it was my mom who told me, if someone ever cuts you off in traffic, before you react to that, think that they may have just gotten the worst news they've ever gotten and are focused on that and just trying to get where they're getting. And so that always comes to mind. I'm like, I mean, that's kind of a pessimistic outlook, but you have to give people a little bit of room to to feel, right? So that would be like kind of my easy answer. And I, from a more systematic or systemic even, like just, problem that needs to be solved is to me it's just this idea of water right Mm -hmm. like (laughs) my movement would be to get clean water I Hmm. it's just astounding to me the the wealth of water that we take for granted Mm -hmm. and I know that's not like a social movement or anything but it is it's literally a a fundamental it's a big problem Uh uh-huh it's huge and I cannot believe that we can um, you know, come up with technologies where you can walk in your house and all your lights come on and the temperature sets to your favorite setting and your favorite song comes on, but we can't figure out how to get clean water yeah. to villages, you know, around the world. So I think there just needs to be kind of a dedication to 
harnessing these great minds and these great resources to something besides, you know, likes and mm-hmm. friend requests or mm-hmm. whatever. Yes. It would be that. I don't know how to do it, by the way. I'm just, I think it would be cool if we did. No, I know. <laughs> so, well, everything starts with, out. I mean, everything that we've ever done on this world starts with an idea and a conversation. And this is how movements start. And this is why I love this question. And, and I love your answer because it's so much more important than almost anything else, like you said. So thank you for that. Do you have a favorite life lesson quote that we haven't touched upon? You know, we've talked about a lot of different things right now, but does something come to mind? Is there sort of a, do you have like an operating sentence that kind of is always in the back of your head? Honestly, there's, and maybe it's because I've somewhat recently become a mom myself. There's so many things that my mom used to say that I remember thinking like, I will never say that, that I've found myself yelling in the last, certainly since, yeah. <laughs> since the lockdown. You will wear pants. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Or like yeah. don't eat cheese off the bottom of your foot or whatever, but like more, <laughs> more truly kind of life altering things. Like she would, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything yeah. at all. Again, I know it's not an original quote to my mom, but that's just kind of a soundtrack of childhood mm-hmm. that it became like the nagging mom thing that you don't want to hear anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I say it all the time now. And I think there's something to that. I mean, obviously there is because we all know those sayings. So mm-hmm. you know the golden rule and all that stuff. But I don't necessarily think that it has to be some profound sentence by some famous person that we all go, oh, we knew that person was smart and they said a cool sentence. Yeah, just one sentence, right? (laughs) Yeah, so you write it in calligraphy on your wall or whatever, as much as it is just those people in your life who relentlessly, as Mm. my mom did, just beat that sort of stuff figuratively into your head because they were the lessons on how to be a good person. Right. And oftentimes with, with my mom as well, lessons on how to be a good woman. Oh, you know, a good role model, even for women, not necessarily, I don't think that that was her goal, but those, when I look at, at the kind of stuff and I hear myself saying it, Mm -hmm. so much of it has to do with just, you know, don't, don't be a jerk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be productive, do your thing, be nice to people and fix problems. And so that was a really long way to say no. No, it's great. Yeah. She sounds like (laughs) your mom sounds like she's a special lady and you know, she's a good, very much so. Mm -hmm. How can people um, follow you or get a hold of you? Do you? Are you on LinkedIn or? I am on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, actually, that's one thing. So I don't have a photo on my LinkedIn because the ambiguity of my name actually, I think, has helped me in the tech career. I bet. So uh, uh-huh. you, won't, you won't find that. But yes, I am on LinkedIn and okay. then obviously via threat quotient. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Green Planet. To get further details about the topics discussed in this episode, please go to thisgreenplanetpodcast.com to review all show notes and links. If you love this episode, we would love it if you subscribed and left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people just like you find our podcast. I look forward to having you join me next episode. Until then, stay safe and let's make this planet greener.